Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Crossover, an NBA show hosted by Sports Illustrated's Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. It's a whole new level for you and me, Chris, this relationship. Like and subscribe for the best weekly NBA content these two are capable of. What does that mean? Could be the best duo ever. I don't see how you can beat that. Here they are, Chris Mannix and Howard Back. Crossover NBA podcast, Chris Mannix and Howard Beck. And Howard, before we get deep into our topics this week, I want to take a minute and acknowledge uh, the retirement of Jamal Crawford, who earlier this week announced he was walking away from the game. Crawford hasn't played in a couple of years, but... As you've seen on social media, he's been staying in shape. I think he was looking, he was hoping to get some kind of, uh, you know, short-term contract during COVID, all the things that were going on. It never really materialized. So he decides to retire a 20-year NBA career. He finishes the top 20 in the NBA in games played. He averaged right around 15 points per game in his career. He won three six-man awards uh, and was generally regarded as one of the best six-men in the NBA uh, during his time, maybe ever, uh, and also regards one of the best people in the NBA, as you well know, as someone that covered him in New York and other places uh, extensively. So uh, your thoughts, I guess, on the retirement of Jamal Crawford? Well, let me just start with this, because as you know, Chris, you covered this league long enough, and guys that you covered go from being really young to old by NBA standards, and then they retire, and it makes you feel old when they retire, and you do this enough years, you get a lot of those, and I've had too many. The thing with Jamal is, Jamal is, (laughs) according to basketball reference, and I take this to be the gospel truth, he's 42. Not only does it make me feel old that Jamal is 42, but dude still does not look a day over like 26. It's killing me. Jamal Crawford has never aged. I met him in 2004. Four when I first got to New York to cover the Knicks. And he looks exactly the same. It kills me. I wish I had uh, the secret uh, of the fountain of youth that Jamal somehow discovered. But you said it, Chris. I mean, a lot of guys have retired in recent years. And in the, let's just say in the social media era, you do not often see, short of a guy being like a Hall of Famer, a multiple-time All-Star, you don't see the outpouring we saw Yesterday, we're recording on Tuesday. He announced on Monday the retirement. And, and like everybody, L- Lou Williams, uh, DeJounte Murray, uh, like every player in the NBA at some point, it feels like 
gave Jamal their well wishes and their respect and salute. Uh, Raymond Ritter, the, the, the Warriors' uh, great PR director, he even tweeted, like everybody tweeted about Jamal. I'm surprised we didn't actually get a statement from the commissioner on this one. And it's, and it's because... Jamal Crawford, one of the few guys who's just like universally beloved. Everybody, uh, not only as a person, but his game, right? Like, was Jamal the most efficient scorer ever? No. Did it matter? No. He was a creative scorer. He was a blast to watch. He did things in games that, especially during the time I covered it with the Knicks, right? Some bleak years. Jamal was one of the bright spots. Uh, He wasn't going to, you know, he did win him a bunch of games also, but he was going to at least make the night fun, entertaining, regardless. And so, um, and, and also of course, again, just one of the all time great guys and great with us in the media, always, uh, generous with his time, always generous with his insights. And, you know, and a guy who like, if you gently criticized in print the next day, cause maybe he had one of those like six for 18 nights or something, he might, he might say something just, just to kind of mess with me, but he never, it never, he never changed. Like it never affected our relationship. He was totally professional, good times and bad. Um, cannot say enough nice things about Jamal Crawford, and I'm sure uh, d- nobody else could either. <laughs> yeah, I remember getting uh, an email from him a couple of times, actually, uh, when the voting came out for sixth man. I voted for him a couple of times for sixth man, and he's like, you know, just thanking me for my vote. Like, that was okay. I <laughs> didn't see that one coming uh, at all. I-, I admit, Howard, I was a little bit surprised that Jamal didn't get a uh, short-term offer during COVID. I mean, yes. the Celtics the Celtics signed Joe Johnson. <laughs> I, I mean, yes. like guys were getting signed left and right, guys I've never heard of. And even if you didn't believe Jamal Crawford had a lot to offer, which I, I still think offensively he could offer something uh, to a team. I mean, the guy scored 50 back in 2019. He became the oldest player ever to score 50 points in a game. He's a tremendous locker room guy, to your point. Like, having Jamal Crawford around is a net positive for a team. I mean, most of these 10-day guys, I mean, like I said, a lot of them were playing because they were forced to, but some of them didn't. Joe Johnson didn't play more than garbage time minutes for the Celtics. Um, so, I, I just, uh, I was astonished that nobody, you know, gave him an offer. But, yeah, he retires, and I guess the question, how it is, um, Hall of Fame, Jamal Crawford? <laughs> do, do, we, do we go there yet? Are we ready to have that conversation? Uh, I mean, on sentiment alone, on his popularity alone, you know, if if that's all it took, he'd be in. And on what he brought to the game, creative score, the three times six man of the year thing, which, you know, has only been done a couple of times. Um, no, probably not. But this is when you think sometimes we need, like, if you hit certain statistical thresholds, you're almost automatically in, right? And there are guys who get in where you think, okay, you know, that guy, he was he was fine. He was really good. He stuck around a long time and put up a lot of numbers. But you're not inspired by them. They don't move you. Jamal moves you. And that's the thing. Like, he doesn't have the statistical thresholds. He doesn't have the championships. He doesn't have the individual awards aside from sixth man. But there is this just you know, ineffable quality about Jamal and what he brought to the game, the joy he brought to the game and the contributions he made along the way where you could say like, man, I wish there was a wig of the Hall of Fame for the Jamal Crawfords, uh, but I don't think there is. And so he probably is not. But um, man, like we, we just, we need, it needs to be its own category. We need a, we need a hall of, you know, dudes who just played the game at a high level and who brought something unique and made it fun for all of us. And we want to reward them, you know, for, for all time. Yeah. When it comes to the hall of fame, like if you are going to put Jamal Crawford in, you've then also kind of got to put Lou Williams in because if you're putting Jamal Crawford in, I think the argument for is that he was one of the great sixth men of this era, which I think is a fine argument, but If you're going to do that, like Lou Williams has to be in as well because he's kind of, you know, you know, parallel universe Jamal Crawford, like kind of the same guy in a in a weird way. So I, I think that's probably not going to get him in. But great career, great guy, got a future in television. I'm sure we'll be seeing a lot of Jamal Crawford uh, yes. down the line. I, I, right, I, I want to talk. Good, real, yeah. real quick. Good. I do want to say this because uh, I need to take the the last opportunity here as he's on his way out to pat myself on the back here. And Jamal and I have had this conversation, but when he was with the Knicks, 
And they were trying to figure out what Jamal was. He's still young, young in his career. They'd gotten him from the Bulls. They're figuring out like him and Marbury. And then they bring in Nate Robinson. They kept you know, this whole guard shuffle. Allen Houston was still hanging on for a while. And Jamal was this guy who like, he was miscast as a point guard because he was not a starting point guard. That was like, he, he's great with the ball in his hands, but he wasn't a point guard uh, by trade, right? And then at shooting guard, yeah, a little undersized uh, at that time to defend everything else. I said to him when he was still with the Knicks, before he'd gone off to the Warriors and the Hawks, and he, I think the Hawks are the first to, to like make him the permanent sixth man. I said, you know, with your game, you're the perfect sixth man. You should be coming off the bench. You could come in at both guard spots. You're interchangeable. You could do a lot of things. You, sometimes the ball in your hands or play off the ball. And at the time, he's still young in his career. And of course, all guys at that time have such pride that, no, they all, everybody sees themselves as full-time starters for their whole career. Um and so years later, a couple of years later, when he'd bounced around a little bit and then settled in into this great six man role, and I think the first six man of the year award was in Atlanta, I did tell him. I'd reminded him. He laughed because Jamal's got you know just great uh, you know uh, uh, you know, self effacing quality too. Uh, he laughed, said, "Yes, you're right. You did." Um, so I'm I'm taking credit for that. I'm taking credit for Jamal's <laughs> six man of the year awards. Thank you. I mean, it's funny. So many guys resisted and still resist to this day you know, yeah. becoming a sixth man, which is wild. Like, not only is it a huge part of team success, but it has become prestigious in a way. It always has been, frankly. I mean, go back to Vinnie Johnson and, um, you know, in this generation, the Jamal Crawfords and Lou Williams. Like, I look at players like Carmelo, who it took way too long for him to accept a secondary role. And even right now, Russell Westbrook. I mean, Russell Westbrook isn't, like, I don't know if he'd have the same success as a Crawford or a Lou Williams, but it kind of fits him, though, too, doesn't it? Like Westbrook coming off the bench, playing against second-unit guys where he can play either guard spot. His defense isn't that big a liability um, in those situations. Like, just embrace it, man. You'll be able to enhance the twilight of your career. That's what Jamal Crawford did. If Jamal Crawford said, I'm a starter and that's it, he would have been retired like eight years ago. Like, it would have been it for him. Instead... Yeah. He was able to have a long career, um, rack up a lot of points, accomplish a lot of things, and make a lot of money You know, at the end. So I don't get it. More guys do what Jamal Crawford. Let him be an example uh, yes. to the rest of you. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? So are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a Challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of Challenge Champion. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast. To start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least. 
as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. All right. I want to talk about the Celtics here. We've done this a few times on the podcast, but this has been quite the week for the Boston Celtics. They go on the road, a four-game West Coast road trip, which takes them through a couple of good contenders in the Western Conference. And all these West Coast road trips are tough in general. But they go to Golden State, and they beat the Warriors by 22 in a game that, quite frankly, wasn't that close. Like They were thumping the Warriors from start to finish. They then go to Sacramento, and on the heels of blasting out Sacramento by like 50 or whatever it was in Boston a couple of months ago, they beat the Kings by 29. They then go to Denver, a tough place to play, especially as you're winding down a road trip. And they bust up the Nuggets by 20 points. The closest game of this four-game road trip was the final one in Oklahoma City where they allowed the Thunder to get back in it before beating them by nine. Um, <laughs> Howard, we talk about the Celtics, and I think there's... I think each, the two of us have had a discussion about Boston with a healthy dose of skepticism. Like, all right, you know, they're on fire right now. They're playing well. Jason Tatum's great, yada, yada. But, like, four-game road trip where they beat the crap out of Golden State and Denver in addition to wins over Sacramento and Oklahoma City. What does that tell you about the state of the Celtics? And are we ready to kind of declare Boston as, you know, up there with Miami Philadelphia, Brooklyn, whoever is at the top, Milwaukee of the Eastern Conference as one of the teams to beat? I mean, you, you said it, Chris. You and I have been, not holdouts, but just kind of like, okay, this is nice. Let's see if it continues. Kind of wait and see. We've been fooled too many times by this team, not just this season, but the last couple of years. It's always kind of hard to get a gauge on these guys. And when it's the same, I want to say this the exact same basic, but it is, it's the same essential core, Right. You know, new coach, some new pieces here and there are guys who are emerging, but I think it's hard to proclaim, okay, suddenly they've arrived when we've had all these kind of false starts over the last couple of years in the the Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown era. All that said, yeah, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. They're there, Chris. Like they are there. They are in the conversation to win the East. They are as legitimate a team to win the East as any of the others, right? And that field right now, I I, I guess it's it's four, maybe five, depending on how we feel about the Nets. And so the Bucks, defending champs, Sixers, Embiid and Harden, the, the Miami Heat been in first for, for a, a lot of the season. And we know they're, they're you know, just a really tough team. Maybe the Nets, if they somehow can win their way out of the, the play-in, possibly without Kyrie. And it's the Celtics. Um, so a couple quick numbers here, because... First of all, I want to remind people where they were and why we have skepticism or did have skepticism. December 29th, this team was 60 to 19, three games under 500. Since then, they are 29 and 9. That is the second best record in the NBA since December 29th, second only to Phoenix. Um, just ahead of, by record, Dallas, Memphis, Minnesota, by the way, on this list of most wins since December 29th, and Philadelphia. So they've been one of the best teams. Uh, since you know, since the start of the year and, and going back a couple of days into December, their net rating in that time, Chris, is a plus twelve point three per one hundred. That is number one by far in that uh, two and a half three months. Um, twelve point three net. The next t- uh, best team is Phoenix at, at nine point five. Then Memphis at seven point five, and again Minnesota. <laughs> the Timberwolves keep popping up at seven. Um, the Celtics in that time are have the number one defense by far in defensive efficiency and the number five offense. So if you're, we know this, you're, you're top five in offensive and defensive efficiency, you're almost a contender by definition. Now they're not for the season, 
because for the season, they're number one in defense, but number 11 in offense, just outside the top 10. But since December 29th, they're the number five offense. So uh, this team is by all, you know, statistical, by win loss, by whatever, by net rating, they're absolutely there. We could get into the weeds about personnel and stuff too and, and, and how that plays out. But there is no question at this point, we have to say that the Celtics are as good a bet to win the East as anybody else. I agree. Um, and, and most people listening to this podcast know my background, that I, I do TV in Boston uh, for the pre- and post-game show with the Celtics. So I had a metaphorical front row seat to the disaster that they were to start the season and that we're here right now in late March discussing the Celtics as a title contender is bonkers. It really is because this was a team that looked like it was poorly coached, that looked like it didn't like each other very much, that looked like at times they were on the brink of breaking up Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, or at least some were calling for it. Um, And now here they are. Now, how they got here, um, I give a lot of credit to Ime Udoka. I was texting with our good friend uh, Tim Bontemps recently because I was listening to uh, his podcast with Brian Windhorst, and they were talking about Coach of the Year candidates. And, you know, look, Monty Williams is up there at the top. Eric Spolstra should be up there at the top. Billy Donovan has done a great job. Go down the list. They had a list of six or seven guys. They didn't include Ime Udoka on that list. And I was texting with Bontemps. I'm like, you're crazy, man. Like, you're nuts. You guys are all nuts for not putting Ime Udoka on that list. Because, like, what Ime Udoka had to do early in the season was to break the Celtics of some bad habits. He had to shake up a team that really had atrophied. And that's not a criticism of Brad Stevens, because I frankly thought Brad Stevens should have kept coaching this team when Danny Ainge stepped down. I was one of the people saying, hire Sam Presti and keep Brad Stevens on the job. Um, I was wrong, <laughs> completely wrong. Brad Stevens uh, made the right decision in hiring Ime Udoka because Ime Udoka is everything that Brad Stevens is not. He is a disciplinarian. He's someone that is willing, if not eager, to call out his players in public. And that seemed like a disaster in November and December. Come January, February, now into March, it worked. He got in their head. So, Ime Odoka, even though the Celtics' record was bad in the first two months of the season, like, he, he was building towards something. He was stripping them down. He was, he was, you know, excising all the bad that was with that team and building them into something that he wanted them to be. That's in addition to changing the system, becoming more of a switching defense, which is something they haven't been in years past. Putting Marcus Smart at point guard, a position he's never played, at least not full-time, in years past. Giving Tatum and Brown new roles. Rob Williams a new role. Al Horford being reincorporated into the mix. I mean, like, Ime Udoka has done an unbelievable job with this team. I, I still, and we're probably on the same page, Howard, I think Monty Williams is probably the vote because not only is Phoenix the best team in the NBA, they've had to deal with plenty of adversity themselves, and they're still sitting at the top of the Western Conference, both off the court and uh, on it. Um, but to, for my money, right behind him, Ime Odoka, right there. I think he has been the catalyst to all this. So, so I uh, on the Friday edition of the pod last week, I had Jay Adonde on, and we talked about a bunch of stuff, uh, mostly Lakers. Uh, but we we veered into the the coach of the year discussion. <laughs> And uh, you can you can laugh and mock me as hard as as JA did when I tell you that there are eleven candidates for Coach of the Year. <laughs> I there's, agree. I think that's true. Yeah, there's three slots, right? We we often narrow it down, and I think most years we talk about six to eight guys. Legitimately, there's six to eight in most years, and every year we go, oh, it's such a competitive field. Every year it's a competitive field because we have a combination of. Teams that overachieved or exceeded expectations or went through a lot of hard stuff but still came out competitive or uh, among the favorites. And then you've got the teams like, you know, like Amani Williams situation where he's the coach of the best team in the NBA and probably didn't get enough credit for it a year ago. Uh, you know, I, I've, I voted for Monty Williams at top of my ballot last year. Um, he got more first place votes than Tibbs, but Tibbs won it um, on points. Um and so, Monty, I, I, I'm wondering if, like, the media at large, if, if we will collectively 
consider it almost a makeup call. And it's it is body of work too. Like with coaching, it's very rarely just a one season thing anyway. And so it's 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 just as legitimate to award him this season as it would have been last season. But Ime Udoka has to be in this conversation. I, I don't need to go through the whole list again, but like Ty Lue needs to be in this conversation uh, for what the Clippers have been able to do with no Paul George and no Kawhi Leonard. And we could go on and on. Um, but it, it's been interesting to see it because, I mean, you, you know, you're in Boston. You see this and hear this even more than I do. It wasn't just that they were struggling early, Chris. It was that there were people who were right out of the gates doubting whether Ime Udoka could do this and was the right choice. Like, oh, he's trying to be too much of a throwback, hard, you know, uh, hard-ass old-school coach, and that doesn't work today. And- yeah, that was me. That was me <laughs> saying that. Like, that was me. Like, I, I think I was on TV at one point saying, like, you know, y- y- you can call players out publicly if you have the resume to back it up. Greg Popovich does. Eric Spolstra yes. does. Pat Riley did. Uh, Ime Yodoka had never been a head coach at any level before he took over the Celtics, and he was doing that. And I I questioned that uh, that tactic. And, you know, I, and it's, it's fair because you and I know today's players, a lot of them don't respond real well to that kind of approach anymore. Uh, you know, even if you are Pop or Spolstra, but especially if you're not. And Ime just being a Pop disciple and a Spurs, uh, you know, uh, part of that Spurs coaching tree is not enough to give you that 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 gravitas, but clearly it's worked, or clearly he's found the right balance. And that's the thing, too, about Pop, right? Pop is not just old-school hard. He's not some guy, like, football coach from the 1950s. Pop has the ability to do both, to be a hard-ass at times and then smile and put his arm around you and support you as well. And I, I, I would guess that Ime is, like, that's, as a rookie head coach, that's part of... Uh, the challenge is finding that right balance, but they needed it, right? Like Brad Stevens was as, <laughs> like, uh, as, as I don't want I'm not sure what the right word is. Br- Brad Stevens was definitely not a hard ass. Brad Stevens was definitely not bringing the heat to these guys and was not going to be the one like getting on them in the way that we think of, um, you know, pop doing or the way that Ime Udoka is doing now. And not everybody can do that. It's not in their personality and not everybody can, can pull it off. Um, I think they needed this. I think the results are probably proof that this is what the Celtics needed. I agree. Um, They can beat anybody in either conference. Um, Defensively, there is no weak link there anymore defensively. Marcus Smart has more than proven he can be a primary ball handler playmaker. And because he's been able to do that, his defense has become an even bigger asset because you can have him out there on the floor in any situation. When you've got Marcus Smart at one and Rob Williams at five, two legitimate top five, top six defensive player of the year candidates mixed in with Jalen Brown, who is excellent. Jason Tatum, who is really good. Al Horford, who is really good. Got some guys coming off the bench. Grant Williams, who is a really good defensive player among others. Um, if you have that type of rotation where everybody can defend and everybody can switch on anything, you're going to be tough to score on in the playoffs. Really tough to score on. And I think with Tatum's emergence, and he has been just out of his mind offensively over these last few weeks, months now at this point, uh, with his ability to take over games in the fourth quarter, they've got all the the, the pieces here. All the pieces. Now, I, I we've talked about this. I'm still a little concerned about how they match up with physical teams. Rob Williams is not the most physical five in the NBA. And to get through the Eastern Conference, you've got to go through Embiid or Giannis or Miami's physical uh, front court. That's a question still. But, I mean, watching them roll into Golden State and just roll the Warriors, watching them go into Denver, which just watching on TV, it seemed like that was like Boston West. Like there were more Celtics fans at that game than there were uh, Nuggets fans. Um they're cooking right now. We're only, what, 10 games left in the regular season. Like, they're peaking at the exact right time. So I'm I'm all in on this Celtics team. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And guess what? 
so are we. Just in case you forgot, I'm Tori Deal. I'm a six-time finalist and a challenge champion. And I'm Anissa Ferrer, and I've been gracing your screens for the last two decades. I am a veteran challenger and challenge all-star. And speaking of all-stars, All-Stars 4 is finally here. I'm going to be honest. I literally thought this day was never going to come. Well, the challenge gods have answered our prayers, and we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, redemption seekers, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. Anyone can win, relationships matter, and only one all-star will claim the title of challenge champion. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. We've got a bunch of good teams atop the East, but there isn't a clear favorite with all due respect to the Bucks as defending champs and with all due respect to the Heat as the current <clears throat> leaders just by record. That said, the top four teams in the East, Miami, Philly, Milwaukee, Boston, are within two and a half games of each other. I mean, Miami's got a two and a half game lead on those three teams who are all in a virtual uh, tie. Um, and then you got the Nets looming down there at eight and having to face the play-in, and we'll see what happens. And they are the proverbial team no one wants to face in the first round, assuming they make it out of the play-in and become uh, the seventh or eighth seed. Um, so... I guess, actually, can they only become... No, I guess they could become the, the seventh seed, too. Um, yeah. So it's 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 a weird race because the team that everybody feared the most or talked about the most coming into the season was the Nets, and, and they're still kind of an enigma. But with the rest of them... So everybody's got caveats, right? Like, the Bucks haven't had the best regular season, but they just now got Brooke Lopez back. They're whole now. Like, their core from... The, the, from the championship last spring, last summer, actually, uh, is back. And besides that, okay, if their record or their performance in the regular season wasn't as dominant, that's par for the course for defending champs in this league. Not every time, not every year. Don't go looking up the stats on me, folks, and nitpicking. But a, it happens a lot where you win the championship and the next season, if you were a 60-win team, you'd come down to maybe 54. And in the Bucks' case, they are on pace for about 50-51. Not unusual, and you know they have the ability to take it to another level in the postseason. The Sixers are hard to figure out because they've only had Harden and Embiid together for a month, and they've been all over the map. They've had some incredible stretches and some some total just you know pratfalls. 
Um, the Nets, their record is not really reflective of who they are because not only with the, you know, forget the Kyrie situation, forget that Ben Simmons still hasn't played and we don't know if he will because we just learned that he has a herniated disc that he got uh, uh, shot for. Um, but Durant was out for six and a half weeks. Like, even with Kyrie weirdness, even with Harden, you know, kind of, you know, dragging his way out of town and then the trade for Ben Simmons, who's not playing. If Durant had just played those six and a half weeks that he missed, they look a lot different just in terms of the wins and losses. So they're hard to figure. And then the Heat. Bam Adebayo missed six weeks. Lowry and Butler have both been in and out of the lineup. They still have the best record in the East despite all that. I guess if we're, you know, it's hard to rank these all. But like the one thing with the Heat is like they don't have the guy, right? Like Jimmy Butler can be the guy well, let's, at times. Let, let's but, do that. Let's do that now. Let, let's talk about yeah. the Heat. Let, let's move to them because I wanted to yeah. get into them at some point. Miami, uh, a 47-win team as we record this, the best record in the Eastern Conference. They have, Howard, a top-five defense. They have the 11th-ranked offense. They have a roster loaded with playoff experience. But to your point, there, there's just something a little bit off with this group. On Monday... They went to Philadelphia and just got beat by a Sixers team without Joel Embiid and James Harden. Kyle Lowry said after that game that we're just not there yet. Jimmy Butler, who has an injury history of his own, is now hobbling around on a banged-up ankle saying things like, it's as good as it's going to be. Um, I, Miami's, they've been really good all season long. Like On paper, you look at that team and say, that should be one of the front runners, But... I don't know. I'm just not ready to kind of declare them that yet. There's just something that feels like it's missing with Miami, Howard. Yeah, you know it's funny. So I was at um, I was at the Nets game last night, Nets Jazz last night, uh, sitting next to Logan Murdoch, my buddy from the Ringer, and and we were having this discussion of like, well, what makes a contender? How do we how do we recognize a contender? Which is kind of a fun question because if you think about it, like there's so many ways we could define this. Whether you want to just look at it statistically and look at offensive defensive efficiency or net rating or just record or whatever. But like in the NBA, I hate to to do this simplistic exercise, but I will anyway because it's 99.9% reliable. Like the team with the biggest stars usually wins and you know who the biggest stars are and you know uh, you know that in, in any given series, the team that has the best player, not guaranteed to win, but has a huge leg up. And especially if that guy is a top five player, right? So the Nets have Kevin Durant, who's a top five player. The Sixers have Embiid and Harden, who are both arguably top five players. Embiid, for certain right now, Harden has been, and at his best, I would say still is. And of course, Giannis for the Bucks. But the Heat, like Jimmy Butler, I have all the respect in the world for it. He's a great player, and I'd want him on my team anytime. And Kyle Lowry is great, obviously up there in years, a lot of miles. Bam Adebayo is phenomenal. But they don't have that guy. Like I don't think that's arguable, right? They don't have a Kevin Durant or an Embiid or a Harden or a Giannis. And I think as simplistic as the argument sounds, that's what they have to overcome is that in a tight game in the playoffs and with teams scheming to take away the stuff that you like to do the best and try to take away your best player, you need somebody who can manufacture out of thin air some offense or a bunch of buckets down the stretch. And the other teams that we've been talking about have it. Boston with Jason Tatum, for sure. I should put him in the same uh, conversation with uh, the rest of those guys. Hasn't been top five yet, but you and I both know he's on that trajectory. I don't know if the Heat... I don't. I don't think the Heat have that guy. Jimmy, like Jimmy, could be clutch, right? He can come up with some clutch buckets, and so could Kyle Lowry. But they cannot manufacture at the level of Kevin Durant or Harden or Giannis uh, or Tatum. You what? So I was watching the the game against Philadelphia last night, and Ty, look, Tyler Hero is probably going to be the Sixth Man of the Year, but Tyler maybe unanimously, Hero, maybe unanimously. But he has become a liability defensively that teams are exploiting. Like, I'm watching the Sixers offense. I think Bam Adebayo said afterwards they they were running the same play over and over again, which was find a way to isolate against Tyler Hero. And it worked over and over again. Tyrese Max has cooked him in that game. And uh, look, Tyler Hero, I think his positives outweigh his negatives. But if you have a player like that, that is going to be on the floor in key situations and teams are going to attack him, you better figure out a way to hide him or it's going to be problematic uh, for your team. So I, like that's that's another area of weakness 
for this Miami group. Look, they got to the finals in 2020, and look, that's all credit to them to get into the finals. But I think they got to the finals in part because in that bubble, they were mentally tougher than everybody else. Like, they they just had a mental toughness to them. Um, Now, they've got talent. They've still got some mentally tough guys, but the talent part, they, they might fall a little bit short against certain teams. They don't have, like you said, that guy that can just take over in games. They'll still win, and you know maybe Hero gets it going even more in the playoffs. Maybe Duncan Robinson, all, all those guys there. Uh, maybe they they pick up pick it up a little bit, and they will likely have home court throughout the Eastern Conference playoffs. But I just I don't know if I see it. I don't know if I see it with Miami right now. That might be a team I'd want to see if I'm you know jockeying in those middle seating areas and and land in the four or five. I might want to see them uh, in the second round. All right, let's finish talking about the 76ers. I was in Philadelphia uh, last week for the Nuggets against the um, Sixers game. And, uh, you know, we talked about the Nuggets a little bit, the MVP race. Uh, Philadelphia, you know, Harden and Embiid didn't play last night. They head out west for a road trip. I'll be at a couple of those games when they're in L.A. this week. Um, you know, Harden and Embiid are, are really good, obviously. Embiid might be the MVP. Harden, when he's on his game, is great. But, you know, I... I Still, there, there's just something. I just feel like I'm watching them. There's something missing with that group as well. Maybe it's, and we talked about this a little bit last week, but maybe it's the lack of athleticism at the wing positions. Maybe it's, you know, not as much another score lacking. Some something. There's some length on the perimeter. Aaron, we talked about this again last week. An Aaron Gordon type, but for them to win. They need Embiid and Harden to just dominate, and they need Maxi to have a huge game because I I don't think they're I I think they're the, the, what the trade did was give them some star power, give them some scoring, but I just look at that team and say there are several things you could probably exploit, especially when you get into the middle of it um, outside of Harden and Embiid. <sighs> yeah, and and I think look, we're still trying to figure out what they are in this in this new configuration right like they were overachieving arguably pre-trade because they didn't have Ben Simmons' services for all those months Embiid was was putting on an MVP campaign and everybody else was along for the ride and and contributing um along the way and, and Maxi was having his breakout year it's just a different chemistry when you throw James Harden in the mix and all you know there's 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 still a lot of ball dominance there and I'm not saying necessarily to their detriment but it's an adjustment and besides that you lost one of the best three-point shooters in the league in trading Seth Curry to get Harden and so uh do they have enough shooting do they have as you said enough uh, on the perimeter in general and perimeter D and, and length at at those spots they were missing Danny Green for a long stretch after the trade for Harden. So just getting him back recently and trying to to kind of um, reconfigure. Because that's the thing when you have, you know, I, I'm not saying you can play defense just with two guys, but Thibel and Danny Green together is a pretty nice combination defensively at the wings. Um, but Danny Green's got a lot of miles on him and you can't, you know, you can't overextend him. So there's, there's still concerns there when he's not on the court or Tybel's not on the court. Like, where does that leave you, right? So I, I, it's just a lot of little things. But listen, in a playoff series, first of all, we know this team can defend at a high level. When you have Embiid back there, um, you're always going to be a, a pretty stout defense. And then it's just a matter of can you, you know, can you win the the battles down the stretch? Can you can you get the tight, you know, the the uh, the, the baskets you really need um, in a tight fourth quarter? And they do have two guys in Harden and Embiid who are among the best scorers in the league. So I still think they're going to be there in the end. Beware, like finals. I I still think they are they are as uh, I don't know if, do I want to say as good a bit as any. I mean, yeah, I, like I think they are as much in the mix to win the East as the rest of the teams we've been talking about. I, I have. So who, let, let, let's put a put a button on this then. Like, who is the favorite right now to win the East? Ten games to go in the regular season, late March. Who would you? pencil as the favorite to win the east milwaukee <laughs> it always comes back to that doesn't it it's like whatever the bucks yeah. are doing now it's like all right they, they'll listen they, they, and, it, <laughs> and it's not look i part of this is respect for the, the fact the defending champions and are still intact but part of it chris like 
they've played well enough. They're within two and a half games of the top of the East. There's no reason to dismiss that. Like if the Bucks yeah. were having like a season long hangover or Brooke Lopez were still out and like Drew Holiday were banged up or something and the Bucks instead of being third and two and a half games out were like fifth and six games out, then you'd be, ah, oh, man, I don't know, man. Maybe the Bucks lost a little from last season. Maybe it was a nice magical run. They can't replicate. But that's not the case. Like what, what case do we have against the Bucks, right? I don't I don't know that there really is one other than the East as a whole has gotten a lot better and I think it's just going to be tougher round by round to emerge. Yeah, I mean we had this MVP discussion a couple of weeks ago but like a vote for Giannis for MVP would not be a bad one. I mean, the guy's having of course a season where he's putting up comparable numbers to what he did during his MVP year and he's arguably the defensive player of the year right now. So like I mean, and, and I agree with you on the Brooke Lopez front. Like, Brooke Lopez, it's not sexy, but the guy blocks out everyone. And when you've got a guy that can do that and put his body on the biggest body on the other team and allow for other players to rebound, that's a hugely valuable asset. Like, you ask anyone in Milwaukee, they're overjoyed to get Brooke Lopez back. Like, he's oh, no doubt. such a huge part of uh, what they do. But it did, look, I, I know Daryl Morey, the GM of the Sixers said this after the acquisition of James Hart. He's like, this is the most wide open the NBA's been in a while. And I tend to agree with him. I mean, there's nobody unbeatable. There's no there's no Golden State in the last four or five years. There's no LeBron, in, whether it's in Cleveland or L.A. or wherever, um, or Miami. Like, there's there's no team like that. So No. And, 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 and the Suns, listen, like, the Suns are running away with the race for best record if there were a, a if that were an actual race that we actually cared about. But, like, the Suns are on pace for 66 wins. And that's despite having Chris Paul out all this time. And, and we've seen reports recently that maybe he's going to come back uh, sooner than later. Good news for them. But they've been pretty good even without him. Usually if you're a 66-win team, which they may well finish with, like that's that's a dominant regular season that suggests you are a finals team. And they may well be. But there's nothing about the Suns that you look at and go, man, I just don't see how anybody beats them, right? Like, that's not a sentence right. we're saying about them. As you point out, the way we said about the Warriors during their run or during the uh, the LeBron era of the Heat where that four years, you just didn't see anybody else coming out of the East. Um, we don't have that. By the way, can I throw a quick uh, tangent in here while we're on this? Uh, absolutely. I'm pro-tangent. <laughs> um Remember at the start of the season and for the first two, maybe three months, we were talking about how now the East is the superior conference, <laughs> which is a discussion that's happened, I don't know, almost, I don't know, I want to say every year, many, many times in the last 10 years as we've, I think people have been over eager to say that it's finally shifted, that the cycle has, it still hasn't. Um, it's closer now. And it depends on where you want to make the cutoffs. But I was just looking at a couple of things. Well, let me start with this. Justin Kubatko, the great uh, statistician who uh, is on Twitter. Um, Justin had this tweet today. As we head into the final 20 days of the season, the West holds a 209 to 206 advantage over the East in uh, the head-to-head matchups. So for whatever that stat is worth, it's not like, like there was a time when I think it looked like the East was running away with it. So they, the West actually has a slim lead there. Um, the West has won the interconference battle in 21 of the past 22 seasons, including the last 12 in a row. Uh, so going a little deeper, I was just looking these uh, items up before we got on. Again, this is as of uh, Tuesday afternoon, so this may change by the time y'all listen. 600 winning percentage is, is pretty damn good. Like that's, that's, I think 600 is translates to about 49 wins. Um, 600 or better. There are four teams in the East, five in the West. If you want to go to 550 winning percentage or better then it's seven East and seven West. So it's a little even uh, more even there. But if you go by just stacking the teams by win loss, both conferences together, the top three teams are all in the West. Phoenix, Memphis, and Golden State have the top three records in the NBA as we speak. And the West has four of the top five by win-loss. Where it changes, where the East does have the advantage, is that the East is deeper right now. The East has nine teams that are over 500. And then Atlanta's uh, a game below. So Atlanta's you know at 10th, virtually the 10th team to be in that 500 range. Whereas in the West right now, there are... Uh, seven teams over 500. The Clippers are close at a game under. 
And then you fall off a cliff, right? Lakers are 10 below and then on and on down the line. So like the East is now the deeper conference. We can say that. They are not in danger of having a team or multiple teams as we've seen in in previous years in the playoffs with losing records. Uh, It's not the Eastern conference of the past, but I don't think you can say that the East is now the better conference overall or the stronger conference when the three best records and four of the top five are all in the West. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think you could potentially argue that like next year with the healthy Durant and Ben Simmons and presumably Kyrie Irving that the Nets would close that gap. But at the same time, you could say next year the Clippers will have Kawhi and Paul George. And, and the Nuggets be- will have... Yeah, and the Nuggets yeah. have Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., presumably, and maybe the Warriors get a full season of yeah. their core back together. So It's yeah. varsity versus JV all over again. It's been that way since the Jordan <laughs> years. Like, we're on decade three of this inferiority complex that the Eastern Conference uh, has with itself. So It's not quite happens. that bad. It's not It's not the, uh, you know, Paul Pierce, Antoine Walker, Celtics versus the Jason Kidd Nets for the conference title as we had in the early 2000s. Like, it's not that desolate. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. All right, Howard, we'll do it again next week, my friend. (laughs) Always a pleasure, my friend. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening.